0: if you were listening to the replay from justice and drew before the show came on this evening we're going to pick up right where they left off in their discussion of aaron murphy the dfl endorsed candidate for governor in this state and her response to the thurman belvin's situation or Blevins, my apologies. Keep getting that wrong for some reason. I think I have like a low-grade form of dyslexia where I see I see certain words reversed when I look at them. But only for last names. But only for last names for some reason, which is really strange. At any rate, I've been doing some kind of last-minute show prep here on this, and you will not believe what I just tripped upon. I mean, it's Aaron Murphy's statement on this situation with Blevins. Is as bad as Justice and Drew were talking about, but it's actually worse. When you dig deeper, when you you go a couple of levels deep in terms of what it is that she's claiming about this situation versus the reality and the particular example she uses, it exposes an intellectual dishonesty and moral insanity that disqualifies her for office. Now, listen, there's a lot of things that disqualify Aaron Murphy for public office. But this, this is right at the top in terms of demonstrating her complete incompetence to hold any sort of civil authority whatsoever. Closing argument, by the way. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM. We're streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. You can be part of the show, 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brad Olman takes those calls and produces the program. So let's start over at the Pioneer Press. They put together samples of statements that were put out by various political personages, candidates, and incumbents, uh, most especially the candidates for governor in this state, the major candidates. From Tim Pawlenty, You got this reaction to the Blevins situation, the release of the video, which shows Blevins running from the cops, taking a gun out of his pocket, turning it towards in the direction of the police before he was shot. And then the announcement by Hennepin County Mike Freeman that no charges were were going to be made against the officers as a result of this evidence. In other words, lack of evidence that they did anything wrong. Tim Pawlenty responded this way. He said, the actions of the Minneapolis police officers involved in the shooting of Thurman Blevins were clearly appropriate. Police officers protect our communities at extreme risk to themselves every day. We support and appreciate them. Those who claimed Blevins did not have a weapon or that officers acted improperly owe the officers an apology. So that's the statement from Tim Pawlenty. at every word of which I agree. That's right on. Jeff Johnson, very similar fashion. And I'm presenting these to you, by the way, in the order that they're presented at the Pioneer Press. I watched the body camera footage from the Thurman Blevins shooting today. This is Jeff Johnson talking. It shows clearly that Blevins was carrying a gun and that the Minneapolis officer involved did everything he could to convince Blevins to surrender before firing his weapon. Serving our communities as a police officer is one of the hardest jobs in America today, and we shouldn't second-guess the very difficult decisions they make until we have all the facts. Again, like with the Politi statement, very reasonable, very fact-based, very right down the middle, normal statement as to you know this this is. And by the way, these two statements by these two gentlemen, Politi and Johnson, this is where everybody's at right like the the vast majority of everybody is with these two guys in terms of their take on this footage this situation the decision by mike freeman to not pursue charges against the officers this is where i, I mean i don't have any metrics but i would i would put money on 80 85 even as high as 90 percent of people are like yep this was a clean shoot there's nothing whatsoever controversial about how this was handled Then you get into the Democrats, and with this, I'm going to start with the less controversial statements and work my way up to the big dog, which is Aaron Murphy's ridiculous take on this situation. Absolutely insane. We'll start with Tim Walls. He said, he wrote, there is no debate about what matters most. Thurman Blevins' death is a tragedy for Minnesota. As someone who hopes to lead this state, I wish I could tell you I have all the answers. I don't. But I am committed to working tirelessly in partnership with communities to find them. We need to come together to tackle this systemic issue and have an ongoing conversation about how we keep both our communities of color and police officers safe. Now, this is the lukewarm, totally vanilla dfl response like this this is a response that doesn't please anybody right like if you're on the side of the cops you think this is weak tea and an equivocation right like we need to tackle a systemic issue what's the systemic issue here what's the systemic problem with A guy's shooting off his gun randomly in the street in a residential area. The cops show up promptly as they're supposed to, confront him as they're supposed to, chase him when he runs as they're supposed to, and then shoot him when he takes out his gun and aims it at them again. It's a theme now, as they're supposed to What is the ambiguity here? What is the systemic problem to which Walls refers? Right now, again, just keep in mind, keep in mind, because blood pressure is getting a little raised here. This is the least offensive Democratic statement. That was the least offensive. You know, it gets worse.
1: I'm not a Democrat, but I am considering voting in the DFL primary this year for governor, just so that I can vote for Tim Walls. So that we can keep the other crazies out. It's a strategic decision. Jeff Johnson, Tim Pawlenty, I have no preference. But we can't allow the other Aaron Murphy or uh, the other crazy Democrat candidates on the ballot. Some
0: incumbent representatives who I, who I believe, I know for a fact Raymond Dean and Bobby Joe Champion are from Minneapolis, Yeah, and Fu Lee as well is also from Minneapolis. So all three of these guys are from Minneapolis. They released a joint statement, and here's what they had to say. As the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension and other law enforcement continue their investigation, we encourage them to continue engaging with the Northside community and to use every tool available to bring justice. We need to know exactly what transpired to improve the safety of our community and to put an end to deaths by police action. What? What? First of all, we do know exactly what happened. It's on tape. It's clear, right? Like there's, there's no ambiguity whatsoever. And this, this goal that they articulate here, put an end to deaths by police action. What? So you're precluding the possibility that lethal force will ever be required by police. What? This is, that's. Again, this is this is moral insanity. We'll get to the intellectual dishonesty later. It gets even worse, by the way. Now, I, I'm going to skip ahead because, you know, these their statement doesn't get any better from there. We need to get to this big boy because we're going to run out of time in the segment if we focus too long on the on the smaller fish. Aaron Murphy's statement, my lord. She put this out on Facebook. All right. Now here's the part that the Pioneer Press excerpt. As I watched the body camera footage of Thurman Belvin's death, I was struck not only by the end of his life and the hard questions it raises, but by the beginning of the video. From the first moment officers are on scene, they are loudly swearing and threatening a man who appears to be sitting on a curb with a woman and child. From the first moment the police are shouting, scaring him, pushing him, and engaging in a way that led to an awful ending of his life. Now, let's just pause there for a moment to to, (laughs) to review. Okay, so um, he was sitting on a curb with a woman and child. This is correct. He was, right? He had a gun in his pocket visible on the video, which presumably Aaron Murphy took the time to watch, right? I mean, she says she watched it, right? So he had a gun in his pocket. We know... As presumably Aaron Murphy knows, because I'm going to give her enough credit that as a candidate for governor, she's at least read the same news articles that I've read. But that's the credit that I'm going to give her. It's the only credit she deserves, that she's done at least as much research as a talk radio host has into public policy, that she knows what I know. So she knows that the cops are responding to a call of a man fitting Blevins' description with a gun, drinking, shooting it off into the air and into the ground. Right. So that's the context. So when the cops show up and they see a guy fitting the description, sitting on a curb next to a woman and a child, what did did, was there some sort of like Jekyll and Hyde personality switch? Did the Hulk reduce down to Bruce Banner? Are we no longer concerned that there might be some violence here? What about the thought process? And a caller brought this up last night. What about the possibility that that woman and child were actually in some kind of danger? How were they to possibly know that that wasn't the case? And indeed, once they get out and they start shouting orders, which is what police do when they encounter a suspect on circumstances such as this, saying, put your hands up, which was by no means unreasonable, drop your weapon, which is exactly what they're supposed to say. Now, all right. okay, so they swore a little bit, right? They dropped some F-bombs. Oh, 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 systemic racism. They said the F-word. Systemic racism. Give me a break. And that, we haven't even gotten to the part that's truly outrageous from Aaron Murphy's statement. In fact, we got to skip to it because, again, we're going we're gonna to run out of time here. So her full statement, she gets down to the bottom, and she talks about, she compares this. She compares what happened to Thurman Blevins to another situation which took place a, a week or so ago in South St. Paul. This is what she had to say. Just a few days ago in South St. Paul, a mentally ill man was reported to be threatening people at a group home. Officers arrived and engaged with the man. He, too, had a gun. He actually fired it and shot the officers, injuring two of them. They subdued him, not with a hail of bullets, but with other tools. Their words. Their determination to find a better solution. Those officers, Todd Waters, Derek Cruz, Dennis Broom, and Julie Bishop, are heroes who found humanity in what must have been the worst and scariest situation in their lives. So the the narrative that you're supposed to infer from this comparison is that the guy in South St. Paul who got arrested was not shot and killed because he's white. I presume he's white, right? Like That, that, has, I, that has to be part of the narrative here that it's the racial component was the definitive component in whether or not the suspect ended up dead that's the implication and it's not even applied it's like this this is what she's saying aaron murphy dfl endorsed candidate for governor so you know i decided maybe i'll google this right like maybe i'll go find out i'll go read the news article that actually tells us what happened in this south st paul shooting from a couple of days back Oh, boy, oh, boys! From the local ABC affiliate. A mental health caseworker was supposed to meet with the the gentleman in question here. I believe uh, the man's name, Dustin Allen Bilderback, was accused of shooting two officers. Mental health caseworker at this care facility was supposed to meet with him Thursday morning. But Bilderback was late for the appointment. So staff there conducted a health and safety check of his unit. In doing so, they reportedly noticed items missing that were of importance to him. The complaint states staff reported him as a missing person around 1230 p.m. Thursday as he returned to the facility shortly thereafter. The complaint said Bilderback allegedly met with a caseworker in the group home office voicing concern about returning to the hospital or police coming to get him. He reportedly said he wanted a cigarette and both he and the caseworker exited the building. Once outside, they reportedly encountered three South St. Paul police officers who had just arrived on the scene. According to the complaint, the officers began conferring with the caseworker on whether Bilderback should be placed on a 72 hour mental hold. While that discussion was in progress, Bilderback allegedly walked to the back of the group home where his car was parked. Now he had a shotgun in the car. Upon reaching the car, the complaint alleged, or the complaint alleges he pulled a shotgun from the back seat. He then reportedly began firing striking one officer in the back, neck, and arm. Another officer was struck in the leg, so he took them off guard, right? They didn't even know they were under attack until they got hit by bullets. The complaint alleges he fired his weapon six times in all. Now, pay attention to this. This is the key point. This is the part that Aaron Murphy knows and is intentionally misconstruing as racial. Officers returned fire but did not strike him. The complaint alleges officers commanded him to drop his weapon and he complied. He complied and was placed under arrest. This is the situation that Aaron Murphy is comparing to Thurman Blevins running down the street, pulling a gun out of his pocket and turning to shoot at the police. As he's repeatedly being told by police, drop your weapon, put up your hands, stop running. This guy, yes, he shot the cops. But then when they said, put down your weapon, he complied. That's the difference. It's not that he was white and Blevins was black. It's that he complied and Blevins did not. It was behavior. It was conduct. And Aaron Murphy knows this. Aaron Murphy's not stupid. I'm going to give her the, the benefit of the doubt that she's not a complete imbecilic moron, that you don't become a state representative without having a basic level of intellectual capacity, which leaves one possibility. She's a filthy liar. She's a filthy liar who is intentionally and immorally misconstruing the facts of this situation in order to craft a divisive and vile race-based narrative to demean police officers, to impugn us all as a society as being systemically racist, and to fuel a fire that has nothing but destructive impact upon this state and this community. To hell with her and her campaign. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. You know, what you'll hear from the left, from Democrats, from progressives, as they like to call themselves, fallaciously, because they're actually against the very means by which any sort of social progress occurs, but be that as it may, what you'll hear from them as they wring their hands and tilt their head and adjust their glasses is we, we just want a peaceful world. We want peace. We want tolerance. We want nonviolence. We want it. We want everybody to just get along. It's such a damn filthy lie. It's such a damn filthy lie. They don't want that at all. You know how I know because in opportunities like this, in situations like this, where you have the, the, dash cam video or the body cam video come out regarding the Thurman Blevin shooting. And you have a, a county attorney Mike Freeman announced that he's not going to press charges against these police officers who very clearly acted properly. Like they you can't tell me that anywhere along the line aside from probably I don't know is there there might be a rule somewhere about using the f bomb, right? That okay got got them. I guess you got them there. They did swear. But other than that There's nothing you can point to in terms of their actual conduct that is, is beyond any sort of scrutiny, right? Like, it's all good. And to take a situation like that and then to try to appeal to this slim minority within a minority, the slim minority of nobody who thinks that this is some kind of evidence of a systemic problem within our society that needs to be addressed, and inflame that little ember of nonsense until it turns into a blazing inferno that's going to create divisiveness within the community, within the state. There's one reason to do that, and it's politics. That's it. It's not to affect unity. It's not to affect tolerance. It's not to bring us to a better place in our society. It's to make things purposely worse. And look, this tells you everything you need to know about, first of all, who they are, like the content of their souls but also the merits of their worldview and the, and the philosophical foundation of their policy. The fact that they require conflict in order to advance their agenda, it's, it's a very strong indication of moral evil. But enough from me. Let's talk to you guys. 651-989-5855. Let's start with Dan in Coon Rapids. Welcome to Closing Argument.
2: Hey, guys. Great. Great dialogue. That was awesome. I loved it. It's very profound and absolutely accurate. And the young gentleman that said he thought he'd vote in the primary in the Democratic primary, though he's not a Republican, I think is a huge mistake. The real, you know, the left, Tim Walls is part of the left. That's why he's a Democrat. He's less of a leftist, but I guarantee you, if he were governor, it would be less leftism, but it still is a car going off the cliff. And really, the only true conservative, the only guy that can turn this state around, honestly, if you do the research and study his record, study what he believes and how bad Tim Pawlenty was and all the growth, he, he it's Jeff Johnson. Jeff Johnson the only guy that we have some modicum of survivability. And, uh, you know, I... The Democrats, Tim Walls, is going to take us right over the cliff or down the toilet, just not as fast.
0: And but, perhaps, uh, not, perhaps not with as much uh, showmanship, I suppose. Well, I pre-
2: you know, these, I mean, what Dayton has done and, and how much, I mean, the leftist uh, uh, ideas and the leftist policies are absolutely destructive to society and you see you know i'm praying that aaron murphy is the candidate she would be destroyed
0: well i i wouldn't be too I confident hope. about that cuz I mean, i'll tell you what so. i i I, pre- I appreciate the sentiment but i had the exact same thoughts about mark dayton back when he was uh, going up against tom Emmer. Well, i thought Trump that i thinking, thought that was the dream matchup
2: think? i mean the lights have gone on in people's minds and debatable. You know, the, uh, very debatable <laughs> Well, hopefully,
0: hopefully. I appreciate the call, Dan. Appreciate yeah. your thoughts. Let's talk to Colin in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program.
3: Hey, thanks. Uh, I gotta say, I appreciate or I agree with your stance. I appreciate your passion, and I admire your eloquence when you're talking about it. You basically say everything I think and feel regarding all this, but just in uh, a less vulgar way, I suppose.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad that's the case. I'm glad i can yeah, I can so. hold back something. <laughs>
3: And it, I, I think it speaks to, or at least illustrates, uh, you know, a point I've made in previous times I've called into the show. Just showing how far the lunatic left has gone yeah. off the reservation. I mean, it, it, she is either one willfully omitting facts or just outright intentionally deceiving people. They they are not interested in a, a fact based dialogue whatsoever. Mm. And when you say like, or I, I think I heard you say something about you want to, use, you know, maybe give them some credit that that they're not all like this. I actually saw uh, a discussion with some friends, and this woman actually said that she hadn't watched the video yet because she wasn't in the right headspace for it, but she's still opining about how wrong it is and how he should still be alive and how, you know, oh, oh, uh, we should be rallying every day, but it's only when someone gets shot that white people care. And I want to... Just point out that she is a Willy White suburbanite. Yeah. It's like God, you just you. I need suntan lotion for how bright that virtue is signaling. Like it's 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 painful.
0: I appreciate the call, comments It is painful. Oh man, it it really does. It boggles the mind. It's exhausting. Like I'm exhausted. I might have overdone it a little bit in the first couple segments here. Nah, I don't know if I have any steam left. I'll tell you what. We'll come back with with a couple other stories that are somewhat related. They, they continue along this theme of uh, racial strife, both locally and across the globe. And uh, we'll see if I'm able to conjure up uh, any energy going forward. You can certainly contribute some. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walt Troutson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. This is a tendency that I've noticed in my years of political and cultural involvement and acting in the commentary space. There's this concerted effort on the left to try to conflate conduct with identity and to confuse the two. So, you know, when you talk about things like, I don't know. Well, let's just stay on topic here with the Blevins shooting. And you talk about Aaron Murphy, the dfl endorsed candidate for governor, and her statement on Facebook in response to the, the release of the body cam footage and the announcement from Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman that he's not going to pursue charges against these officers. When she compares the Blevins shooting to an incident which took place a few days ago in South St. Paul where cops showed up to an adult care facility, And they encountered a man who pulled out a shotgun and started shooting at them. When she compares those two situations, she looks at the one guy who presumably, I didn't see this in the article, but I presume, you know, for the sake of her point, that the guy in South St. Paul was white. And Blevins, of course, is black. So that's an identity distinction, right? She presumes that the reason for the difference in the outcomes, where one man was shot dead, and the other was arrested and taken away in handcuffs, that the decisive factor was their identity. That when the cops show up and they see a black man, it's, oh, it's we're on now. It's time to start shooting now. It's a black suspect. Let's get him. Like, that's her portrayal of what's taken place with Blevins. And then in South St. Paul, they show up and they're like, oh, he, you know, this guy's actively shooting at us with a shotgun, but he is white, so we should probably take it easy on him. That's literally what she's putting out there as what's taking place in our society, in our state. That identity is the decisive factor in whether and how suspects are dealt with by the police. But then you take a look at the actual facts of each situation and very clearly the difference between the two was conduct. In the one case, Blevins, he got a shot off and then he was shot dead. In the other case, the suspect also got shots off, actually injured the officers, and they shot, fired back at him, returned fire, missed him, and then when they commanded him to drop his weapon, he complied. That's the difference. He complied. Blevins did not. So he got to walk away in handcuffs, and Blevins got to be carried away in a stretcher. That's the difference. It's conduct, not identity, that determined these outcomes. But the left doesn't want to talk about that. They don't want to have this. Disti- they don't want to look at conduct. They don't want to look at behavior. They don't want to look at action because that doesn't serve their identity agenda, which to them is of supreme importance. And there's something philosophically negligent and profoundly immoral about that. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. Catch us streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brad Ullman takes those calls. And produces the show. Let's talk to Barry in Saint Paul. Thanks for holding.
4: Well, I'll make a couple points first, but the guy in say the people in South St. Paul, they missed. So the big difference is the cops missed in South St. Paul and the guys in Minneapolis didn't miss. Right. If they want to miss. Right. It would have right. been the exact same situation. That's correct. Okay. So that's the big difference. And then after they they missed, he had an opportunity to correct. comply. And right. then when you're saying that they're conflating actions with with identity what they're doing is being racist if they're talking about blacks versus white they're saying that all blacks act this way they don't listen to police they don't do that it's that racist to start with and then isn't isn't the whole idea of the democratic party isn't their idea of how to solve this problem bringing in more government force and with bringing more government force doesn't that bring more police officers, and more interaction. With more interaction, doesn't that cause the opportunity for
0: more? Yeah. Yeah, you're hitting upon one of the things we talked about last night, which is the the bizarre lack of synergy between the leftist response to this shooting and their generic narrative on gun control. Because, you know, by what function, by what mechanism are you going to control the guns? Well, this is what it looks like, right? Like, you want to know what it looks like to have a a firearm that you're not allowed to have under the law and then have the government enforce its restrictions upon you, this is what it looks like. The cops show up, and if you fail to comply, you end up shot that's how it works so you know there's a there's a real lack of of consistency which shouldn't surprise us, of course, when we 're talking about the left but it's it's extraordinarily revealing and it's it's very troublesome it's troublesome. That because here's the thing, and this is a point that they made on Justice and Drew today. I believe it was Drew who was making this point. And it's, it's a correct point. It's an insightful point. But it's also very disturbing. What he was saying is that, look, you know, Aaron Murphy and Tim Walls and all these guys on the left, they're saying this, they're posturing in this way because it's what they have to do in order to compete in the DFL primary. They're responding to the market incentive presented by the Democratic primary electorate in this state, which is that this is the way you're supposed to respond to these types of situations, which means there is a politically significant portion of one of the major, two major political parties in this state that buys into this felicious and profoundly racist and immoral reasoning. That is a huge problem. That is, that's a, that is a bigger problem. That, there's your systemic problem, right? You want to talk about a systemic problem. You want to find something systemically wrong in this whole thing. There's your systemic problem. You have a political party that's racist. You have a political party that's, that's systemically irrational, systemically immoral. So much so that its candidates have to outrace each other to stupid in order to have any chance of prevailing. In the August primary, that's deeply, profoundly disturbing. Another way in which we, we see this manifest, this, this acquiescence to poor thinking, was demonstrated over here at the, the CBS local. They report that St. Paul's city attorney says she's dropping charges against 18 people who protested the fatal shooting of black Motors Philando Castile in 2016. Several had been scheduled for trial in mid-August, but city attorney Lindsay Olson says she determined moving forward wasn't in the city's best interest. We reviewed these cases with fairness and adherence to the applicable laws, she said. In light of the evidence, we have determined that further pursuit of these charges is not in our city's best interest. The 18 were among 73 arrested outside Governor Mark Dayton's official residence in July 2016, after law enforcement moved to break up a protest that had lasted nearly three weeks Most of the 73 pleaded guilty to minor charges, but seven went to trial earlier. And so, you know, these 18 that were the the leftovers, they've had the charges dropped against them. Now, I'm very interested in what she means, city attorney Lindsay Olson over there in St. Paul. What she means by pursuing these cases was not in the city's best interest. How does she define the city's interest? Because it occurs to me. You know, any level of government, any form of government, the only reason why you exist as a government at any level is to affect justice. That's it. That's the only reason you exist. To retaliate against the initiation of force, which these, this form of protest, which I think it's a mischaracterization to even call it protest. This is not what protest looks like. Protest doesn't look like blocking streets. Protest doesn't look like trespassing. Protest doesn't look like assault. You know, there's a, a, another story that uh, is in the mix here, you know, when they were shutting down the light rail yesterday to protest this Blevins thing, uh, a gal was punched in the face by one of the protesters. That's not protest. That's thuggery. That's assault. That's criminality. That's crime. Protest, the word protest deserves more respect. It deserves more sanctity than to be associated with criminal activity. There's a distinction to be made between crime and protest. And what these people did was a crime. That's why they got arrested. Strange thing that, right? They got arrested because they committed crimes. And so I want to know, I'm very interested in, what best interest of St. Paul supersedes affecting justice? 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter in Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. So there's a story that portends the future. You know we can often look to the state of things overseas in other countries where the left has their hooked deeper into society and deeper into the state. To get a sense of the direction that the American left will ultimately take us if we fail to resist them, you know, it's fun. And virtually every label that the left takes on is a an inverse of what is true, right? So they call themselves progressive; they're actually regressive. They're actually trying to drag. They're they're trying to undo the progress made possible by Western civilization. The progress made possible by the Judeo-Christian ethic, which led us to a valuation of individual liberty and has enabled all of the prosperity that we've enjoyed for generations as a result. They're trying to wind all that back to take us to a very old and very ancient idea of, I have big club, I knock you on the head and take your stuff. Like, that's, that's their whole philosophy at its root. The culture of conquest. I knock you over the head and take your stuff. It's it's not a new idea, it's not progressive, it's extraordinarily ancient. It's been around for the vast majority of human existence and continues to prevail in much of the globe. And there's nothing particularly new about it, but they try to portray it as oh, forward thinking. It's new, it's progress. We're trying to move everybody forward into this old way of thought. In a similar sense, when when they talk about when they talk about the notion of um having a Oh, I lost my train of thought. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I'll, we'll come back around to it when we get to this story here out of South Africa. But first, let's take a call from Anthony in St. Paul. Welcome to the program.
5: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I just want to say, Walter, honestly, that was beautiful. Your little monologue there about how uh, the Democrats are racing to say the stupidest thing first. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it's absolutely 100% correct. And, and it kind of sounds, it sounds like you're really not afraid to just call it for what it is, too. And I appreciate that. But it it's It's absolutely amusing to the point of sadness almost um, there these people make such little sense uh abolish ICE. uh let's 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 protest for months on end for uh the for what you call it, the Dakota access pipeline, and then as soon as we leave, we leave like three cars and some seven thousand tons or seven tons of trash. They're hypocrites right they think that that their poop doesn't stink yeah and they make hardly any sense. Right. And I am just super excited to see these people actually get their ideas challenged on mm. a debate stage. I cannot wait to see, like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this hero with the left right now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, actually debate a conservative and see how bad it was. Do you remember when Bernie debated Ted Cruz about health care? Yeah. And Ted Cruz yeah. was pretty much just like, It's okay, old man. We'll we'll actually tell you what's going on. It's okay if you think this, but you're totally wrong. This is great. Anyways, I want to leave you with that. Left is stupid. You're right. It was beautiful. Thank you.
0: I I appreciate the cinema. You know, the problem is, is that you're you're dealing with a a worldview, you know, much like we discussed earlier, whereby they conflate conduct with identity and they displace the more, they invert the moral value of those two things. So conduct is not important at all. And identity is of overriding importance, right? And so it doesn't matter. Ultimately, when we talk about them racing to stupid, th- what they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to earn as many, you know, w- virtue points as they can through signaling how woke they are. And I've you know I've said this before, and it remains true. I don't know what they're going to cash in all these progressive virtue points on. I don't know if there's like some sort of like like a proverbial Chuck E. Cheese ticket booth that you're able to take your progressive virtue points to in order to to get a a, a plastic snake or a, a, a monopoly board or something. But or maybe they're going to get into the champagne room and in, in progressive heaven or, or something along those lines. I don't know what it is, but in terms of social currency, we see that it doesn't matter what your conduct is. It doesn't matter what you... I mean, look at what they did to James Gunn, right? The director of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. He's now been fired by Disney. You know, he wrote... the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is not going to be able to direct it. He wrote and directed the first and second films, both of which were outstanding successes and brought in $1.5 billion for the company. But none of that matters because he failed the virtue test. And the and the identity, the virtue, the signaling is of supreme importance above and beyond the conduct. The conduct doesn't even matter. That's what we're dealing with. And in a space like that, there's there's really there's no hope. You know, when you when we long for seeing Ocasio Cortez and a hypothetical conservative opponent, which you know I, I doubt we'll see such a debate because she has no reason to debate anybody. But when we fantasize about how entertaining such a debate would be. What we have to keep in mind is nobody who saw Bernie Sanders' horrible performance against Ted Cruz debating health care that supported Bernie Sanders actually changed their mind coming out of that debate.
1: It's because we're dealing with dumb political ideas and even dumber people. Right, and
0: they—they have—we're they, the ones who care about things like debate. We're the ones who care about things like arguments and facts and reason and evidence. They do not. And again, when I talk about how, you know, whatever the left claims, the opposite is true. That's my rule of thumb. They claim to be the party of science. They claim to be the ones who are all into, into evidence and the facts and journalism and, you know, having a standard by which we judge what's right and wrong. And we need to set up these, these mechanisms and these institutions in order to combat fake news and to police Facebook and Twitter and make sure that nothing fake is put out there and that everything is honest and above board. They say that, but the fact of the matter is the opposite is true. Literally the opposite is true. What they want is to suppress the mechanism by which truth is discovered, which is the free interchange of ideas. You know, it's the in in a similar sense that they they claim to be interested in prosperity, but they're against the mechanism by which prosperity occurs, which is capitalism, the the context of liberty, the ability of people to act rationally in pursuit of their own. Rationally conceived values toward a productive end. That's how things get made that are of value to actual people. And then they're traded on their merits on an agreed upon price. That's how that whole thing works. That's how progress works. And they're against that right so they they claim in a similar sense they claim to be for truth but they're against the process by which we discern truth which is very similar to the economic process we discern truth by considering different sources of information and bouncing them off of each other and analyzing them and coming to to value judgments regarding which pieces are true and which are false and putting together a mosaic of understanding in order and and then testing that testing that hypothesis through a quasi-scientific process in order to determine what is true and what is false. And again, the only context in which that takes place is liberty. You have to be free to do that. You have to be free to engage with other people who are also trying to do that. And you, and your judgment ultimately has to be left to you to come to whatever conclusion you deem possible. They hate all of that because because they don't get to dictate the outcome. And that's ultimately what they're about. They're not about, you know, all the things they say, therefore, they're not about prosperity, they're about control. They're not about the truth, they're about control. They're not about peace, they're about control. They're not about tolerance, they're about control. Closing argument. My name is Walter dot com. if we could play catch up here in the second hour. It's been a, a whole hour of the program so far tonight. We've gotten through two stories. And there's so much else to consider this evening, so hopefully we can uh, rattle through some of this stuff in order to uh, get your take on it. Closing argument. My name's Walter in Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights great having you with us. Catch up on past shows by doing a search for Closing Argument in your iHeartRadio app, and our channel will pop up there for you. If you want to contribute, we're open to that, 651-989-5855. Always enjoy taking your calls and hearing your thoughts. Brad Oman takes those calls and produces the show. So I teased out this story last segment, and we didn't quite get to it, but it goes in line thematically with this, this racial strife that we've been discussing in the aftermath of the release of body cam footage of the shooting of Thurman Blevins and the subsequent announcement by Hennepin County attorney Mike Freeman that he was not going to pursue charges against the officers involved. And then, of course, we had an insane response from the DFL and that, that uh, came to its summit with the comments from Aaron Murphy that compared what took place in the Blevins shooting to a incident in South St. Paul that was completely different. Like it was the, it was the complete reverse of what took place in the Blevins situation had nothing in common whatsoever, other than the fact there were police involved and shooting involved. Like those were the two things that were the same, but she tries to present this as, Oh, well obviously cops are out there looking for black people to shoot. And that's a systemic problem, which we have to do something about. She's a candidate. She's the DFL endorsed candidate for governor. And this is her take on the same video that you and I watched of the Blevins shooting. Unbelievable. Now, what I want to do for you here is give you a sense of the direction that this goes if it's unabated. This is where things end up. If if this thought process, because at this point, it's relatively innocuous. Like one of the things, the other story we talked about tonight is that uh, charges were dropped in St. Paul. Against a number of people who engaged in protest against the Flando Castile shooting in front of the governor's mansion, and you know, when I debate a lot of my libertarian friends on that point about the the protests in the streets and the blocking of highways and what have you, many of them will argue, "Well, Walter, it's such a minor inconvenience. It's such a minor inconvenience to have your to be blocked on a highway sp- specifically when compared to the injustice that they're trying to correct. You know, presuming that, let's presume for the sake of argument that there is some systemic injustice amongst law enforcement that unfairly treats uh, black people on the whole systemically. You know, isn't that important enough to cost you a little bit of time on your way to work or on your way to the movie theater or wherever you happen to be going? That's the argument that's that's presented. Now, I don't agree with that argument at all. I think it's completely, it lacks any sort of moral or intellectual integrity. But be that as it may, I will grant them this. I will grant you this. The what we're dealing with right now in terms of civil unrest is relatively innocuous. It's an assault here, a trespass there, you know, a broken window. There's some vandalism, right? Like it's it's bad, it's not good, it needs to stop. We need to we need to put our foot down and put an end to it and not tolerate it. But it's not horrible. It's not to the point where where people's lives are being irreparably harmed, at least on the whole. But here's what's coming from the Daily Wire. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa announced on Tuesday that the African National Congress will move forward in amending their constitution to permit the seizure of white farmers' lands without compensation. The stolen land will be redistributed to poor blacks in the name of righting the inequities of apartheid some 25 years ago. Earlier in 2018, as reported by News.com, South Africa's parliament voted in favor of a motion brought forward by radical Marxist economic freedom fighters (laughs) seeking to begin the process of taking white-owned farmland without compensation. We are taking the future into our own hands, said Marxist Economic Freedom Fighters leader uh, Julius Malima. Shoot to kill, shoot to kill, pow pow. That's a quote from this guy. Shoot to kill, shoot to kill, pow pow. Now, I just want to remind you, I just want to roll the tape back a little bit here. A segment or two ago... I said, and I'm sure there are lefties out there who are rolling their eyes and we're denying it and we're saying you're oversimplifying things, Walter. I said that the foundational left wing idea is essentially the caveman impulse to pick up a club, bash your neighbor over the head, and take his stuff. Now, I do not say that to be hyperbolic. I do not say that to be entertaining. That's not my objective. My objective is to be frickin' accurate. That is their worldview. That is where they're coming from. And this guy puts it as succinctly as possible. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. Pow, pow. Continuing with the Daily Wire, it is estimated by the Farmers Union that some 47 farmers were murdered for their land in 2017. Though civil rights group uh, Afria Forum, or Afroforum contends the real number is much higher at 84. During the calendar year of 2017, there's been 84 farm murders that we could verify, said Afroforum's Ernst Roets. When we say we can verify, we mean we have a list. We have the names of the people who've been murdered. So to say there's only been 47, I don't know if it's a malicious or negligence. There could be a variety of reasons why their number is wrong. In a recorded address to the nation, Ramaphosa said, and this is the... Uh, the leader over there, the South African president, Ramo Mosa said that it has become uh, pertinently clear that our people want the Constitution to be more explicit about expropriation of land without compensation as demonstrated in the public hearings. Now, that's legalese for saying that the people want, on a racial basis, based upon the color of people's skin, based upon their racial identity, That there's political will, a political mandate to steal property, to steal land from people in order to give it to the correct race. Now, where have we seen something like this before in the last, oh, I don't know, hundred years? Now, listen, Nazi comparisons are a dime a dozen, right? And I get it. I understand Godwin's law. I understand the gravity of trotting out the Holocaust, of trotting out the Nazis. I understand that it's, it's a card that gets played way too often. However, in light of the fact that, one, the left is so eager to call their opponents Nazis, right? I mean, we've all been called a Nazi at one point or another, right, by the left. In light of the fact that they're so eager to call their opposition Nazis, and two, in light of the fact that this is literally what the Nazis did, I think the comparison's apt here. I think it makes sense. I don't feel out of line or somehow inappropriate saying this reminds me just a little bit of Nazis. I mean, let's look, let's check off some of the boxes. Based upon racial identity, based upon a completely irrelevant demographic category, you have fewer rights than another preferred racial category. In fact, we're going to take your stuff based upon the color of your skin and we're going to give it to other people who look different. Yeah, that's right out of the that's right out of the Hitler playbook, folks. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than this. And, you know, it's it's done. Here's this is the part, you know, when I say this is a a gaze into the crystal ball of where things are going in the future. Look, it's again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm not just trying to entertain you with this. This is the natural progression of where the left goes if they're not opposed. You think they'll stop? Look at what they're talking about right now. Look at what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is proposing as a candidate for Congress within the United States today in the year 2018. Medicare for all, right? Which is single payer, nationalized health care, socialism, that is going to cost, by the left's own estimates, $32.6 trillion over the next 10 years if implemented. And you know that's probably a conservative estimate of what the actual cost would be, right? And the costs are only going to go up from there. It's completely implausible. She's seriously advocating for and And she's not alone, right? Like, we know she's on the fringe. We know she's on the far left side of the left spectrum in the Democratic Party. But she's not. She's not that far off from where people are at. It's it's become being for single payer has become a litmus test within the Democratic Party. So she's for that. She's for universal basic income. Which what is a universal basic income? We're going to take people's money. We're going to do. We're going to take their property without compensation. Hmm, that sounds vaguely South African, doesn't it? We're going to take their property without their permission, without compensation, and we're going to redistribute it to who we think it ought to belong to. Universal basic income. So, again, this is not, when I say that what's happening in South Africa with the confiscation of farms from white property owners to be redistributed to poor blacks, this is only a matter of degree different from what we're seeing in the United States today and this is the direction it will go if we allow it, if we don't stop it in its tracks right now. And folks, we have got to get a hold of this thing. we got to. This is, the fact that the culture has become this insane in this short a period of time, the things that are being tossed around today, the ideas that are being taken seriously within the public discourse today would have been laughed off the stage two years ago, certainly four, certainly six. You never would have seen a serious candidate for any office talking about the things that the Democrats are talking about today. You never would see. We we yesterday we considered an article by a feminist who wrote in the Economist, and she was Sarah Didham was her name, and she was complaining that as a feminist activist, she's being crowded out by the advent of trans rights activists. Who are seeking to redefine the word woman. And as it turns out, your move towards feminism, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good if there is no actual standard by which to define what a woman is. Kind of weird, right? She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We can't do away with the word women because that I, that's the whole basis upon which this feminism thing is built. So hold on, trans folks but you know she she can't hold back that damn and things are things are getting crazy in an exponential fashion to to a point which we're going there is going to be a a turning point there is going to be one and i don't know what it looks like i'm not that prescient i'm actually really bad at predicting the future but i can tell you this much there will be a point of no return where we're either going to turn back to what our founders envisioned which again is actually true progressivism the, the true progress enabled by liberty, the true progress enabled by freedom, by the maintenance of individual rights, we're either going to return to that or we're going to, quote, move forward unquote, into the darkness that has dominated humanity for most of its history Six five one nine eight nine five eight five five. closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com we touched briefly yesterday upon the the emergent facts, which, you know, it is amazing how quickly the facts have to rush to catch up with the propaganda nowadays. But the emergent facts surrounding these 3D-printed guns that are suddenly all the rage, it's, it's really interesting how this became like a front-page news item all of a sudden because, you know, this is something that uh, a friend of mine was calling me about you know a couple of weeks ago because when this decision was made by the I don't remember exactly which agency it was but the decision was made by the federal government by the administration to no longer pursue the the case um, against the the gentleman and organization in question that were seeking to publish online the uh, designs of these 3D printed guns they decided they weren't going to pursue it you know that was news weeks ago. And and nobody was talking about it, including us. We weren't talking about it. We mentioned it very briefly at some point about a week ago. And then all of a sudden, when this Seattle judge uh, prompted by Democrats attorneys general around the country suddenly decides to put an injunction on what was going to be today, the, the legal release of these plans online, then it suddenly becomes this huge story. It's almost as if it was part of a coordinated political narrative in order to drum up interest in the midterm elections, but hey, that's just speculation. Closing argument, my name's Walter in Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651 From National Review, David French has a pretty good breakdown here of uh, some of the facts that are being lost in the discussion. He writes one of the most bizarre aspects of the modern gun debate is the extent to which it is still dominated by ignorance and misinformation. One of the most important controversies in American public life rages on yet media gatekeepers and all too many politicians simply don't know the most basic facts. They don't understand the most basic constitutional issues. Even worse, many of them don't seem to care. If you pay attention to the news, You know that the Internet is blowing up right now with claims that the Trump administration is now permitting individuals to share plans for 3D printed guns. You know, keywords being now and permitting and that this move will now allow Americans to make guns at home, including plastic guns of the sort that can be used to penetrate airport and school security. Here's a perfect example of the kind of coverage that's rocketing around the web as shared by Massachusetts Attorney General Mara Healy. And then he posts a uh, tweet by that Massachusetts Attorney General that reads, breaking, hashtag breaking, we are suing the State Department to stop the illegal distribution of 3D printed guns. This is an imminent threat to public safety, and we have a responsibility to ensure these guns are never available online in any form. Note the key claims in a video. He embeds a video from uh, the same attorney general. The claims are, downloadable guns are a real thing because of the Trump administration. That's, That's a quote from the video. Individuals will now be able to log onto a website and, if they have access to a 3D printer, print fully functional and totally undetectable firearms. That's another one of the claims from the video. And then it concludes, all of this is because the Trump administration quietly settled a lawsuit with Cody Wilson, a 3D gun creator who had sued the federal government for being forced to take down his downloadable 3D guns back in 2013. So those are the claims. The video then urges federal and state governments to mandate the placement of permanent metal components on guns and to outlaw printable guns. Healy, the attorney general for Massachusetts, said she has sued to quote, stop the illegal distribution of 3D printable guns, unquote. French continues here. There is so very much wrong with these statements, and it's hard to know where to begin. But let's start with some basic facts. The controversy revolves around a case being brought by a company called Defense Distributed, together with an advocacy organization called the Second Amendment Foundation. The plaintiffs challenge the Obama administration's decision to apply federal international traffic in arms regulations in order to block defense distributed, the organization in question, from distributing plans that would permit individuals with a 3D printer to manufacture a plastic handgun. The handgun was called the liberator. And also a fully functional AR-15 lower receiver. The indispensable portion of the AR that uh, is considered the firearm and that typically contains the serial number. Now, the Obama administration justified its decision to prevent the plaintiffs from posting the files on the grounds. Now, this is key, right? Like, this is the basis, the legal basis for the, only, the reason this was even a case in the first place. The Obama administration justified its decision to prevent the plaintiffs from posting the files on the grounds that the files would be available for international download and international use. It also argued that the files at issue were not expressive speech. As the Fifth Circuit explained, printing a fully functional plastic lower receiver or defense distributed single-shot plastic pistol is legal for United States citizens and will remain legal for United States citizens regardless of the outcome of this case. That's a direct quote from the case when it was originally brought under the Obama administration. Again, because this is key, the Fifth Circuit explained, Printing a fully functional plastic lower receiver or the single shot plastic pistol is currently legal in the United States, was legal under the Obama administration and will remain legal, would have remained legal regardless of the outcome of this case in question. So this rhetoric that's going around that, you know, we got to sound the alarm bells, sound the alarm bells because because of the Trump administration, it's going to become legal for people to 3D print their guns nonsense it's all it has been legal up to this point
1: well and Donald Trump himself tweeted yesterday at 703 a.m I'm looking into 3d plastic guns being sold to the public already spoke to NRA doesn't seem to make much sense so Trump is implying that he's against
0: it exactly which which indicates that it's he's against the status quo because he's advocating to take action that would change the status quo So, you know, the way this is being framed, and we're not just talking about Democrats, right? Like, we expect the Democrats to lie, right? We expect politicians to lie. The media is reporting, is misreporting the basic facts about this. Journalists, people who pride themselves on their, their professional ability to extract the truth from the ether, are misrepresenting the reality of this. David French continues. Despite rulings... The federal government faced a difficult challenge on the merits in this case. The plaintiff's case was fundamentally a speech case, not a gun case. The plaintiffs weren't distributing guns. They were distributing information. And by blocking the flow of information, the Obama administration had placed a prior restraint, that's a particular legal term, a prior restraint on the plaintiff's speech. Prior restraints are among the least favored government actions in First Amendment jurisprudence. In fact, The Obama administration's action was worse than the typical prior restraint, in part because it was censoring further distribution of information that was already all over the Internet. That's right. Plastic gun plans are but one Google search away from every man, woman, and child in the United States right now. And French goes on to say that just before writing this piece, he typed a single phrase and found multiple plans for guns. And by the way, he continues, people have been making homemade guns since before the founding of the Republic. You don't need a license. Again, This under current law, under pre-existing current law, under the Obama administration, under every administration that came before, you don't need a license to make a gun for personal use. You need only a license if you intend to make a gun for sale or distribution. Guns can be made at home easily and cheaply. Home manufacture is common. And the technology for undetectable guns existed long before 3D printing. So virtually every aspect of this story is being misrepresented, not just by the politicians, but by the supposed journalists. Are we shocked? No. But we ought to be outraged. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. That I might be one click away after all the rigmarole that I've had to go through in order to get this dumb little Facebook ad out there for the show. After all the, the hoops I've had to jump through, I may have, during the break, t- gotten myself to the brink where I'm only one click away from finally getting the thing published. We'll see. You know maybe you'll see it in your feed tomorrow. It'll help if you go over to closing argument with Walter hudson on uh, the Facebook page there just do a search for closing argument with Walter Hudson and, and like the page and set your notifications to uh let you know when we post something and hey, maybe you'll say this see this thing tomorrow and by all means sure that would be fantastic. We appreciate that you know we're uh we're low rent here on the program when it comes to to trying to promote ourselves. It's nine to eleven. appreciate you joining us. All right, where did we leave off here? I lost my track of where I was with the news because I'm trying to figure out this Facebook situation. So uh, I tripped upon, I actually found it on Twitter. Hashtag TCNT was put out by the Twin Cities News Talk uh, Twitter handle. There's a story at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com about uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was interviewed by Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. And he asked her how she's going to pay for her agenda, which, listen, you got to give the guy credit for even asking the question, right? Because, I mean, it's certainly it's it's relevant, but it puts her in an awkward position because you and I both know there is no way for her to pay for her ridiculous agenda. This was her answer. She said, one of the things that we see is if people pay their fair share. If corporations and the ultra-wealthy, for example, as Warren Buffett likes to say, if he pays as much as his secretary paid, 15% tax rate, if corporations paid, if we reversed the tax bill, presumably she's talking about the Republican-Trump tax bill that was just passed, if we raised our corporate tax rate to 28%, if we do those two things and also close some of those loopholes, that's $2 trillion right there. That's $2 trillion in 10 years. Now, stop the presses because now let's, let's accept for the sake of argument. I, I haven't done the math on this. I don't know if she's correct, but for the sake of argument, let's assume she is that if we do all this stuff, there's going to be 2 trillion extra dollars in revenue over the course of 10 years for the past two days we've been talking about how Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan, which is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez supports, that his plan, just that part of her agenda, which is only one plank of what she wants to do, just that would cost 32, not two, $32.6 trillion over the course of that same two years. So, Alexandria, where are you going to come up with the extra 30.6 trillion dollars? That's the logical follow-up question to this. Now Trevor Noah probably didn't do the math, probably didn't catch you know how ridiculous this answer is, but dear Lord, the, and again, it just indicates how insane it, just off the any sort of rational reservation these ideas are, and they're taken seriously. Look, it'd be one thing if it was a couple of nut jobs, right? Like every all the both political parties and even the 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 third parties, everybody has crazy people in them, right? You know, you can't if you do, if you're just gonna pick one random, the craziest person out of a a, a state convention of a political party and put them uh, on camera and say, well, this is what all Republicans are like, or this is what all Democrats are, are like. That would be felicious, right? You can't draw generalizations about an entire group of people based upon the conduct and rhetoric and statements of one of them. But that's not what we're talking about here. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not an outlier. She's not She's not somebody who's, who's saying things that nobody else within the Democratic Party believes. She is representative of an of a significant constituency and increasingly the mainstream of where the democratic party is. So the mainstream of a major political party in this country supports a one plank of a platform, one plank that requires 30.6 trillion more dollars than even their ridiculous tax ideas would be capable of generating. That's nuts. I'm running out of ways to say insane and nuts and stupid. And there's only only so many words. I'm going to have to get a thesaurus just to look up those words and come up with more ways to say it. Because I keep having to go back to it so often when I'm talking about these people. All right. From the Daily Wire. The dean of journalism and mass communications at the University of Georgia was forced to apologize, campus reform reports, because he tweeted out a congratulatory message to a friend who just so happens to be the state's Republican candidate for governor. Charles Davis was reportedly a high school classmate of Brian Kemp, who won Georgia's Republican primary last week, earning the right to represent the GOP in the state's gubernatorial elections this fall. Davis called Kemp, are you ready for this? Are you ready for the controversy? Davis called Kemp a nice guy. And said he was nice kind of to a fault, despite their political disagreements. So, you know, right off the bat here, he's not saying, I agree with his politics. He's not endorsing him. He's not saying, this is the guy I'm going to vote for. All he's saying is, hey, I went to high school with this guy, and he's nice. This is exactly what he tweeted. He said, I went to high school with GOP Gov candidate Brian Kemp. We played YMCA ball from childhood. Politics be damned, he's a nice guy, always was, kind of to a fault. He's a friend, always has been, and will be when we're older and grayer. That's how all this should work, people. That was his tweet. Very innocuous, right? Just just acknowledging the humanity of somebody with whom he disagrees politically. But as Campus Reform notes... Leftists on Twitter weren't willing to embrace Davis's conciliatory approach. They lashed out at him for reaching across the aisle, accusing him of abetting racism and failing to recognize his own white privilege. You're a straight white man. Of course he was nice and kind to you. Racists are generally nice to their own kind, one Twitter troll replied. Why don't you say what you really mean? politics be damned you'd never vote for a black woman or would much rather vote for a white racist now i just Uh. now the guy apologized right like he he apologized for saying that a lifelong friend is a nice guy now let's just like without any context let's just consider the cowardice of that like are you Are you refuting your statement? Are you saying, no, I I didn't actually mean it. I didn't actually mean that this guy I've known and called a friend my entire life since we were kids. I didn't actually mean it when I said he's a nice guy. I was. Are you saying that you were lying when you said he was a nice guy? Are you taking it back? Why would you apologize for this? Number one, and in particular, why are you driven to apologize it by such a feeble and moronic response as, White privilege, racist. Nee, 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 nee. Can, are, can, aren't we capable of ignoring such stupidity? Apparently not. The dean has the, quote, luxury of damning politics because no politician is threatening his rights, safety, or survival, another Twitter user responded. The good news is Davis didn't receive any blowback from his colleagues, but the social media pressure was enough to force him to rethink his statement and apologize. Now, look, check out the context of this apology. This is what he said. Now, now, but before I read his apology, I want to go back and read his original tweet, because this is what he's apologizing for. He said, I went to high school with GOP Gov candidate Brian Kemp. We played YMCA ball from childhood. Politics be damned. He's a nice guy. Always was kind to a fault. He's a friend. Always has been and will be when we're older and grayer. That's how all this should work, people. That was his original tweet. He didn't even like congratulate him. Right. Here's his apology. Here's his apology. I'd like to apologize to anyone offended by my tweet shout-out to Brian Kemp. It was ill-timed and poorly written. I've read and learned so much from you all and will endeavor to be more thoughtful. What? Ill-timed? Like, when's a bad time to say somebody's a nice guy? What are you talking about? And poorly written? Like, what? I, I, it's, it's unbelievable. This is insane. You know, usually I like to think that I bring a fairly varied feel or vibe to the show on a nightly basis. That we go in many different emotional directions as we... Make our way through the news of the day. But today has, unfortunately, tonight has been dominated overwhelmingly by frustration and anger. And I don't like that. I don't enjoy being in that space. Now you, you can be forgiven for thinking that I do from listening to tonight's program, but you, sh- a- you shouldn't feel ashamed for being entertained by it. <laughs> I appreciate that, Brad. Yes. You should, you should not feel ashamed for being entertained by it. Uh, but you know, I, I really don't want to live in that space. I find it exhausting. I find it to be, you know, ultimately, uh, when you set aside the entertainment value, it is, th- there's a lot of wasted energy in getting that worked up over what's going on. At the same time, my Lord, you need, there, it's the only, there. Is, there is rationality to it. You know, there's this this failure to understand the connection between rationality and emotion. Um, emotions aren't bad. Being emotional isn't bad. Expressing your emotions isn't inherently bad. What matters is the source of your emotional reactions. You can, you can have emotions that are irrational and illogical and rooted in a, a lack of morality or an immorality. Or you can have the opposite. You can have, emo- you can have righteous indignation. And that's what I feel tonight righteous indignation in the face of so much absurdity, whether we're talking about the reaction from the Democrats here in this state, worst of all endorsed DFL candidate for Governor Aaron Murphy to the Blevin shooting, or we're talking about Ocasio-Cortez and her her answer to Trevor Noah on The Daily Show as to how she's going to pay for her agenda. And she says, well, we're going to raise taxes on everybody and raise $2 trillion over the next 10 years, even though the cost of only one of the things she wants to do which is Medicare for all, is thirty two point six trillion dollars over that same ten year period. It's it's difficult to encounter these things, to discuss them and not devolve into frustration and anger. Let's talk to Chris in Lionel Legs, he's been holding for a while. Appreciate you doing so. What's on your mind tonight?
6: Well first of all, great show, Walter. Thanks. <laughs> it's a, um, I, I think you have every right to be kind of, you know, enthused about what you're talking about. Um, um, I believe you said it was Blevins that had uh, talked about how she would pay for uh, Uh, for Ocasio-Cortez
0: I'm sorry? Ocasio-Cortez
6: Oh, I'm sorry, Ocasio-Cortez Yeah, and and I think it's frustrating because it seems like politicians don't understand economics (laughs) Right Um, (laughs) uh, Several years ago there was a professor at Iowa State University that did a um, study, he looked back at taxes mm-hmm. as a percentage of gdp mm-hmm. from world war ii right. to present um that always hovers around 19.5 percent whether you have a high income tax rate or a low income tax rate right. it doesn't really matter yeah. it, it always ends up being close to 19.5 percent of your gdp is this art laffer you're talking you about do? i'm sorry
0: is this art laffer you're talking about
6: no it's not laughing. okay gotcha
0: um, continue
6: it was it was a it was a, um, a professor at Iowa State University. Gotcha. Um, there is a and actually there was an economics. There's an economic law uh, named after that study, and I, I just it sticks my mind. We'll figure it out. But but uh, you uh, the only way to increase tax revenue is to increase GDP. If it increases, then you'll increase you know right. your your tax revenue. Right. You can't simply raise taxes and expect revenue to come up. It doesn't. Right. It doesn't work like that. And and if you look at you know the, the last eighty years, that's it's been extremely constant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't understand why politicians think they can increase income taxes and and have more revenue. It, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, well, and that's just it. Is what what Cortez is not taking into account is the effect that those increases in taxes will have. You know, she pretends as though you know you. She pretends as though you. Are going to work just as hard to produce just as much if you only get to keep six dollars out of ten as opposed to eight, and that's just not that doesn't acknowledge human nature or any sort of economic reality. They live in this fantasy world. I appreciate you joining the program. Yeah, yeah.
6: The people find a way to not pay taxes if you increase taxes. That's just the way it is.
0: Appreciate the thoughts, Chris. Appreciate you calling in yep. the program and and holding on for us. So much we didn't get to tonight. We'll probably, you know, I keep I keep thinking every time we get to this point at the end of the program and there's a lot left unsaid and a lot of news left uncovered. I always think to myself, well, we'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And you know, we end up getting flooded with with new stuff. Hey, it's a good problem to have when you're on talk radio, I guess. But uh, be sure to stick with us tomorrow, nine to eleven weeknights, Twin Cities News Talk, AM eleven thirty. 1035 FM. Closing argument, the name of the program. My name's Walter Hudson. Glenn Beck is next. TwinCitiesNewStalk.com.